Jewish Money Matters, episode 251, The Power of Compounding and Freeing Yourself from Financial Infidelity with Elizabeth Schwartz. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Today's conversation is juicy, really, really juicy. This one, every woman needs to hear. We address financial infidelity, taking responsibility for our own money, investing in the stock market to grow your money, aka the beauty of compounding, diversifying your sources of income, and uniting family finances, or perhaps not. Elizabeth Schwartz, founder of Fem Funds, is with us today. She's an advocate for women and their financial education, but she's also, as you'll hear, a traditional girl at heart with strong Jewish values that support what she preaches and teaches. You'll hear about her financial challenges involving financial infidelity, her move to Israel, her upbringing as a first-generation Russian-American, investing in the stock market if you're an American living in Israel, and more. You want to listen with attention. There's so much nuanced wisdom in this conversation. Here's Elizabeth Schwartz. Elizabeth Schwartz, welcome to Jewish Money Matters. It's so great to have you on the show. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for having me. How's everything going? This is great on my end, and I couldn't be more excited. This is going to be such a juicy conversation, as I told you before (laughs) we started recording, because really, you're one of the powerful voices in the personal finance space. Among Jewish women specifically, it's really nice to find another Jewish woman really paving the way and being a leader in this in financial education for women. You're targeting millennial women, women like yourself. Um, So I couldn't be happier to be having this conversation. You know, let's empower women. Let's help them build wealth. Let's help them have a better relationship with their money. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Right. I want to actually get started with your personal and challenging story that brought you into the world of personal finance in some ways, or at least, you know, was the impetus to say to 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 change things in your life or discover things in your life and then say, I got to teach this to others. Um, you know, you talk about a relationship gone gone south, you talk about financial ind- infidelity. Tell us, tell us what, what was going on personally that led you here? Yeah, so I guess to make a very long story short, I was dating someone from Europe from mm-hmm. while I was living in the US. Now I'm based in Israel, but we were together for a while. And then he had been relocated to Europe and we did long distance for a couple of years until I decided to make the big move to go over there. And we had discussed, obviously, our financial situation of, you know, me giving up my job, my life, my family and my friends to, you know, move to Europe in order to foresee this relationship. Mm -hmm. And in the end, when I got there, it's like the words that we had agreed to did not match the actions in place. Mm. Um, There was just a lot of sneaking around with money, um, a lot of uncomfortable financial situations to the point where it was like, I no longer felt like this was the person I could, you know, trust or eventually marry. Um, There was a lot of secrecy behind where money was kept. Mm. Amongst other questionable things. Luckily, these things happened before getting married. 
But at that point, you know, it got to the point where I was just questioning whether or not this would be a suitable husband, uh, whether this person would take care of my children or our children, whether I could take a maternity leave and not have that be held against me, both in terms of my career and also maybe my financial situation uh, and so on and so forth. So it just became very toxic uh, due to that. You know, Mm. they do say money is the number one leading cause of divorce. So you know, luckily we weren't married, but we might as well have been divorced. (laughs) And I made my way over to Israel and started my financial, I I wouldn't say started my financial journey. It's but when I felt empowered to learn and kind of take, you know, it's like I had a lot of this knowledge in my subconscious, but it was Mm -hmm. only then did I really, I guess, feel empowered or forced to take control of it. So, so let's backtrack a little bit because there's so much um, to unpack for women before be, before we get to your financial position as you're making the decision to leave, which is an important piece of the conversation with regards yeah. to the financial infidelity, which is not often talked about. And um, um, thank you for being open about that because we need to talk, we need to have these conversations, right? Were there now looking back? Were there other red flags that maybe you had? might have overlooked when you were together in America or like with like like tell, like or, or this was like you went to Europe following this this person you're in a relationship with and then these things start exhibiting there so in this case I do think we were extremely young when we were living in New York we were in our early 20s mm-hmm. so it was by then we were in our already like past our mid 20 mid 20s so like right. 26 27 i guess so at that point you know you're together right. for a, a long time uh you're maturing you're yeah. evolving so those types of conversations or those red flags didn't really show up until right. it came down to becoming more serious and right. taking that taking that significant future step together Right, um, right. So no, they, they weren't really exhibiting. It felt like we were very much equals mm. and aligned with our values, our money habits, what we wanted in life. And wow. then by the time I got there, uh, it's like, you know, you know, it just felt like a massive betrayal because while I was there, the signs started to exhibit, but mm. then, you know, you're, you know, as any person in a relationship, both male and female, you know, you try to make excuses for the person or right. for yourself, you try to overlook them, or maybe you're blinded, whatever the situation is, you, you, you want to do whatever you can to salvage the situation. Right. But I would say that those red flags were exhibiting quite early on after oh, I God. moved there. Right. But they weren't so strong that it kept me there for almost a year. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and 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 you know when I hear your story, it's so commendable that you had had money conversations. I mean that's already like a strong message right there. Ladies, we need to be having these conversations because you did mention, you know, we started discussing our financial situation and me leaving my job and what would that look like. So you were presumably having some open conversations, which is a good lesson in and of itself. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I feel as women, especially now that I'm older, I'm 30 right. now, <laughs> but you know, I'm at that stage where I'm thinking about starting a family and, you know, these are very serious conversations that need to be had. I'm having with my fiance now, even though we're not ready to have kids, but it's like, what would it look like? Uh, well, first we're planning a wedding. So all of our money mm-hmm. conversations now are about that, but it's like right. also in terms of chi- having a child and bringing a child into lo- in, into this world, it's like, how do we foresee our financial situation with raising a child? What type of lifestyle do we want to lead? What type of education do we want to provide? And then it's also the very, 
sad reality as women, like you could easily lose your job, Mm -hmm. you know, sometime after pregnancy, or let's say you don't in the US, you know, people don't even really have maternity leave. What if I needed to step away from my work because whatever reasons, and I wouldn't have a job and I'd become unemployed? Like what, what would that look like for us as a couple for us starting as a family? And also like, how will you support me and getting back on my feet? You know, if that's what yes. I want, you know, it's, right. it's all about what you want. Maybe some women prefer not to, but right. at the end of the day, those are still conversations that need to be had. I think exactly at least. Exactly. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you're, you're already aware that you have to leave. You make the decision to move to Israel. Nice decision, by the way. We should talk about that. Best one. decision. <laughs> yeah, best decision. It's interesting that you chose going to Israel and not going back home, quote unquote, yes. um, to America. But at that point, what was your financial situation like? Um, because that plays a big part in people leaving right? We know that. And that's actually a big turning point in the story. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us. I'd say. So I did keep a very, very small amount of cash emergency savings in my US bank account. So Mm -hmm. I, I basically set a mental block for myself that was like, no matter what happens with this relationship in life, even before this person came into my life, I said, I will always have a minimum of this amount of cash in my bank account. Mm -hmm. And that, so I had that, but like straight up in order to move to a new country, it's really not enough. But I did have that. But then what I had noticed was I actually started investing in the stock market, uh, like freshman year of college. So Mm. I think I was 18 then. Oh, not because of us. Yes. And it's not because I was so educated. It, It was, it was actually strictly because my dad said, you need to learn how to invest. Here's five, like literally this is what happened. Here's $5,000. This is your wedding money. This is your, your future funds, your retirement fund. This is all I'm ever giving you. So figure it out. Good and for he didn't him. Know, <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't know how to invest. And actually, funny enough, I'm now managing both my parents' portfolios. So wow. we've come a long way. But at that time, he, you know, I grew up in New Jersey. So we were surrounded by a lot of like Americans straight up like that worked on Wall Street, even though my family were immigrants. So we, don't know, we didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. But so he just wanted, he knew that it was important to invest. So even though he didn't know anything about it, he knew it was important to teach me. Mm -hmm. So he gave me that money. And then I had it, I I put it in, in a couple stocks, like, like Netflix and Apple, literally Mm -hmm. in college. Uh, So what was that? Like 12, 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was getting ready to leave Europe. And I noticed, wow, this account has blown up into like, like tens of thousands of dollars. And I'm like, what the hell happens? Like, I didn't understand exactly what happened. I knew investing was important. And I knew that it had the potential to, well, to be honest, I really thought for very wealthy people, it had the potential to make them significantly wealthier, you know, like the Jeff Bezos the Elon Musk's of the world. I didn't realize that the 5k could turn into the tens of k's. And at that point, I so needed that security blanket because having that allowed me to, you know, physically purchase a plane ticket and get an Airbnb for a month and then figure out where I would live. And that's literally what happens. (laughs) So good. So good. Let's break it down for listeners who might not be familiar with how this works, because I, I think what you're suggesting is that you had that 5k you put it in, you bought a few individual stocks that you thought, you know, might do well, but you kind of set it and forget it. It sounds like you weren't even adding money to the account over the course of those years. I wasn't. 
Right. Which is already, ladies, an important thing to note. Not that we're advocating not adding money to the account, but the importance of starting early. Right. Um, so then in terms of the mechanics, you were able to cash out some of that money. I mean, that money was liquid. It was in a standard brokerage account. Right. Um, you were able to cash some of that money in order to get yourself your ticket and get yourself settled in a new country. Yeah. So now, so now you land in Israel. Um, some of that emergency money is deplete. It's being depleted, right? Like there's so much runway that those dollars have. What happens next in terms of your finances? You're starting from scratch. You're, you know, emotionally, (laughs) emotionally vulnerable. (laughs) I mean, you've you've come come out of this emotional roller coaster. You tapped into. It was a huge blessing to have the money, but you're tapping now into it. What happens next financially? So I think for me, the biggest blow about moving to Europe, granted, was also the relationship. But I think for me, went deeper to that was that Mm -hmm. while I was there, I was unable to find work in almost a year. So at that point, I'm like a year unemployed. I'm freelancing. I'm doing my thing. I'm making like you know, pretty much the very bare minimum, which mm. by US American standards, like, wouldn't even pay rent, right. at, like anywhere, <laughs> I right. think. Um, but in Europe, granted, I was somehow managing to stay afloat with my freelancing. So by the time I got to Israel, I actually, I, I honestly felt very, a bit relieved, but also empowered to start a very brand new, fresh journey. Mm. I wanted to pivot my career desperately. And, um, while I was in Europe, that was my goal. And Mm -hmm. it was, it was extremely difficult to find work in, well, actually for me in in general, it was very difficult for me to find work. I didn't speak any of the languages in the country that I lived in. So I was disqualified pretty much at every final round I went to. But when I got here, you know, they treated English as they they prioritize English speakers as an asset. Uh, Yeah. For better, for worse, because, you know, I do think there are so many brilliant people that where English isn't their first language, but okay. So it was an advantage for me. So I was able to find work and pivot into a completely new career direction. Mm -hmm. And I was very fortunate that because of that pivot, I was able to like ride the corporate ladder here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am actually doing that in tandem with Fem Funds. And so it's actually amazing because I'm working at like a dream company for myself, mm-hmm. uh, managing the fintech vertical for, mm-hmm. for my company. Um, and it's, you know, very aligned with FemFund. So it's, it's great to be able to combine all of my passions into one or into two, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I did notice that, that you work, you work for TikTok, right? Yeah. And you run Femme Funds at the same time. I just had on the show this week, actually, Patrick McGinnis, who I don't know if you read the book, he wrote the 10% Entrepreneur. Um, he also coined the term FOMO and wrote the book on uh. FOMO. Um, <laughs> and we used to work together on Wall Street. Um, but regardless, the 10% Entrepreneur approach really... Um, it reminded me of how, you know, this journey that you were, or your journey reminded me of, of that approach where you're, you have this career that thankfully you're enjoying and it's paying the bills. Right. And at the same time, you're able to do something extra, right? You're building something on the side that provides a tremendous amount of value and another stream of income. So there's two points to note here, the ability to build something, you know, something additional, um, 
And the idea of diversifying our income streams, which I don't, your generation is more familiar with, but I think, I mean, when, when it's like not, I'm, I'm, I'm not that much older than you, but growing <laughs> up, there definitely is a gap, by the way, there's a huge gap in the financial mindset that, you know, between Gen X and millennials. Oh my goodness. We, that wasn't even a thing. Right. Um, but nowadays we, we really, really understand that part of wealth building has a lot to do with diversifying those streams of income. So you have your job, you, you have fund funds, you have your portfolio. I mean, you know, these are important important nuanced things to to grasp as we're thinking about our financial lives. Definitely. And something that I think, you know, my job provides for me, sure, it does provide the financial security, but it also provides uh, social security benefits, great mm-hmm. retirement plan, uh, very flexible type of work-life balance. And in doing so, and not only that, also emotionally, they they all know about fem funds. In fact, the, the, the CEO of Israel comes right. up to me all the time and likes my posts on TikTok and Instagram, loves what I'm doing, thinks it's amazing. And when you have that kind of appreciation and that like encouragement from the people you're surrounded by, mm-hmm. it's the best feeling, honestly. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's something that I, I don't think I've discussed with Patrick on the show, but privately we've discussed it. A lot of people are very hesitant to start things on the side because there's there's that fear of how their company is going to perceive it. Um, yeah, and I'm, I, I and I'm, that. <laughs> yeah, you did. And, but I'm hearing more and more stories of support. So there is a way to do this. And listen, if, if your, if your people at work don't support you, then that is already a red flag. hundred <laughs> percent. I feel like also with women, with women, right? Like we should all, we shouldn't tear each other down. We should all be lifting each other up regardless of our differences or, you know, whatever it is that we want to do that we might not understand at the end of the day, everyone just, I feel like everyone should have the other person's best interest in mind. Totally. Even if you literally don't know who that person is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's beautiful that you mentioned it because it really is such a Jewish mindset and you should know that again, talking about the differences Definitely between the Israel. generations. <laughs> yeah. No. And talking about the differences between generations, that was really not what we had. I mean, when I, I was, I was telling Patrick this, when I worked in wall street and I looked around me, I didn't say this to him, but I'm saying it now. It wasn't just that I looked around me and I looked at the people older than I and um, I said, there are no role models for me here. I, there's nobody here I want to be like when I grow up. It was specifically the women, sadly. There was nobody that I felt had my back. Um, and there was nobody that I was like, I want to be like this woman when I grow up. And that felt really, really scary. And that was like a big red flag for me. Interesting that you say that because so I actually majored in finance in college, well, economics and finance in college. And That's I interned at Merrill Lynch, Mm. uh, my senior year for the whole year. And wow, the level of misogyny inside the workplace, uh, it it was, it was so strong that I honestly, I didn't even want to pursue a job in finance following, you know, all those four years of studying it. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is the worst place on earth. I cannot work here. Uh, Just like you, I didn't see any women. There was one woman in the office and she was a boss. But nonetheless, I just felt like she was very like womanized and disrespected to some degree back then. Maybe today things are completely different, I would imagine. But back then, I, I didn't feel welcomed to start my career there. Yeah, My parents were very disappointed. <laughs> 
I'm sure. I'm sure. Let's talk about the immigrant experience, because that is also a unique part of your story and your upbringing. Um, you are first generation Russian American. I'm, 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 I'm really curious, as you know, very well know, you know, the way we grow up has so much to has such an impact in the way we think about money and we manage money. I'm very curious what that upbringing was like, what lessons um, did you learn growing up that maybe either served you or you decided to, you know, let go of altogether because they're not serving you anything over there that you can teach us? It's such a, I mean, when I look back on my child, it's, it's, it's very push and pull and hard to define from Mm -hmm. the money side of things. Uh, Both my parents are Russian, but my dad actually had moved to Israel in the sixties. He was one of the first people from Russia to ever be like to ever immigrate here. And then in the late eighties, he moved to the U S. So my father immigrated twice and restarted his, his career and his life literally twice, which Mm -hmm. God bless him. Cause I think that's very, very difficult. So on one side, there's that go-getter mentality. Like you can make all your dreams happen. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter like what adversity you're facing. Like if you want it, you can figure out a way to get it. And then on the other side of things, it's like, okay, we're immigrants. Like we can't push the barriers too much. Like Mm. we need to play it safe a little bit because I can't believe we made it this far. Uh, You know, like for my parents to have a house in the suburbs of New York city for them, Growing up in, 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 in communist Russia, it, it's like unheard of to them. They very much lived the American dream. So for them, it's like, it's also that safety standard of, well, maybe you shouldn't take the risk or maybe you shouldn't start that business because you don't right. know, or maybe this because right. of whatever unknown factor. So it's a, it was definitely a push and pull type of scenario. But I do think at the end of the day, I'm very fortunate that They've supported me through everything uh, financially, whenever I needed, luckily, like granted at that time in Europe, I know I could have called my parents and said, buy me a plane ticket and come home where many other women might not have been fortunate to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my pride that would not allow it <laughs> mm. mostly. Um, so, Yeah. Interesting, yeah. interesting push and pull dynamic, I would say. Yeah, that is very interesting. And, and also you know, it's your, you say it's your pride that didn't allow it, but there's something to that original story where your father made it very clear. I want you to be independent. Um, we're a loving, very supportive so. family. We're here for you. But it was, there was a very clear message. This is what I'm giving you, you know, do well with it. And of course, you know, that obviously maybe played a part of this. Like you knew that they could rescue you, but there was also that sense of responsibility that you were 100%. given. R- Russians have a very like tough love, you know, <laughs> very tough love. Um, but with that, I feel, I don't know, I feel like I've grown into a great adult, successful mm. in many ways, and very independent. Um, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm very proud of what I've been able to build. Uh, and I could not have done it without their love support, and also some of their, you know, hard love. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the tough love. So let's talk about let's talk a little bit more about investing, because now you learn this wonderful lesson that comp- whoa, compounding did all this for me. Okay, you start a new job, you're starting, quote, unquote, from scratch. Does that mean? Um, does that mean you now double down on the investing? Does it mean that then you started building a cash cushion and investing at the same time? Were, was there debt in the picture? Like what, what was going on financially? And I'm making it a little bit personal because I think before we get technical, it really does help people. It makes it more relatable for people. Sure. So I did take out student loans um, and I have pretty much, 
I would say I have enough in my, I have more than enough in my investments to pay it off, but I refinance to such a low rate that mm-hmm. I don't feel the need to pay it off. Right. So I actually think that in and of itself would be a really great topic for, for listeners because yes. I feel like some people really believe that they need to pay down that debt, chip it off, like take that weight off their shoulders. And I actually was not in that mindset. I was like, everyone has student debt. Uh, like forget the government. I'm going to worry about myself. I will just pay the minimum. And what I would do is I actually, I, after I moved to Israel I, and, and all my investments, you know, started to grow as I grew my income, uh, I started paying off my loans in large lump sums through the money I had invested. Mm. So that was actually what I have done. And I'm still doing now that I'm paying for a wedding. I'm obviously not going to do that, but my payments are so low. It's like 150 bucks a month. Wow. So for me, it's like, it, it, it's, it's really not really a legit charge that I worry about, let's say. Right. right. Um, and then when I came here and started, you know, go, going back to work, I pretty much put in as much as I could. Uh, I would try to do at least 20% of my income. And then every bonus that I had earned w- went all towards that. Um, I mean, towards the loan. Or towards no, 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 no. Sorry. Towards investing. Towards invest- yeah. Investing. Okay. Not no, 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 no. Not the loan. That's no, the not the loan. Forget the loan. Forget the loan. <laughs> you have a low interest rate. Just leave it and grow your wealth. Okay. Exactly. Grow the security blanket. Um, I also picked up my emergency savings funds or what I like to call my FU funds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, yeah, I've settled into that pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about when, you know, fem funds really, I noticed really focuses on teaching women, women to build wealth through investing, both investing in the stock market, I should say, both of us are passionate about that topic. Um, When you when you're teaching the like, we talked about you had picked some stocks when you were 18. At this point, um, is that still your approach individual stock picking? Or are you more of a you know, buy index funds and hold them set it and forget it kind of like, what is what is your take on this? Um, I'm a mix of everything. So, mm. um, I, first of all, my retirement account is all funds strictly because I want to, that to remain as safe as possible. And I do mm-hmm. think that's easily the safest and easiest method to grow your money. Granted yeah. also, I don't plan to ever touch that. Um, for my brokerage, the strategy is a mix of both. Um, I do have a little bit of funds and then I do carry more individual stocks. Um, but I wouldn't say there are any crazy types of, you know, like penny stocks or companies I'm not knowledgeable or educated on. You know, there mm-hmm. I'm what I teach in my course is that I'm choosing companies that are, you know, household products, name brands that I actually use and I know and I understand the business model of these organ like of these organizations. I understand how they're profitable. Like I kind of have a rule that if I'm not using you or if I don't really know you or I haven't purchased from you, I'm probably not going to invest in you because I really don't understand so mm-hmm. much of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not always like that, you know, so I have some other companies in there that I do believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's kind of like those companies are more of like my play money, my monopoly money, the gambling side of things. Um, even though I think I don't really look at those companies either as gambling, right? It's more like calculated, educated risk, right? Um, but they're definitely not as safe as a classic ETF or index fund. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. Now, 
you are in Israel and um, a lot of my audience is in Israel. As you well know, you know, here in America, we, we have access to, you know, doing this just so easily. Like, right, we can do DIY this. There's no need. When I was, when I was in my early 20s, I had to cross the street and go to this office with a mahogany desk and sit across that man and hear the whole thing and not understand half of what he was saying, even though I worked in this, right? And just say, yeah, sure, put my money there. Like, I, right? Nowadays, I just log into my account. I could do this seamlessly. Um, what, what is the state of financial technology when it comes to this in Israel? Um, are we as developed? Um, you know, it would be ironic, right? It's kind of ironic to have this conversation because fintech in Israel, like tech in Israel, right? But are we as yeah. developed as we are here, you know, in terms of ease of use when it comes to actually um, investing in the stock market? I would say yes and no. Okay. So I do know there are a lot of local Israeli companies that do provide these types of services at XYZ fees. I'm not completely familiar with them. Um and that, so that's one side of things. On the second side of things, you do have companies like eToro or interactive brokers mm-hmm. where you can invest and it's the same DIY type of process that we have with like a Fidelity or a TD Ameritrade, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Um, the only difference is people from Israel, let's say they're on interactive brokers, they would need to transfer their money from shekels, the local currency, into dollars there. And then they would lose out on the exchange fees. Right. Um, and things like that. And then from there, they could have access to all US type companies. And then you also have uh, eToro, but the barrier to entry with eToro specifically for Israelis is that they need to start or deposit at the minimum 10,000 US dollars. Mm. So that's a big barrier for the majority of Israelis, because right. I feel a lot of them are very risk averse. And in general, uh, well, risk averse when it comes to investing, uh, maybe not other things. Uh, and also a lot of, you know, people here very much live um, almost, I mean, there is a lot of wealth within the high tech industry, but outside of the high tech industry, the majority of people live like right on the poverty line and, mm-hmm. and, and realistically live paycheck to paycheck and don't have the means to do so. Uh, but if you do, that's a really great, I guess, more millennial friendly type of app to mm-hmm. do so. Oh, and is, then there is are it other more companies. user friendly than interactive broker? Because I'm familiar with interactive broker and it's, it's, it's a good platform. It's not as user friendly as the American platforms, but you can maneuver. Right. It. Right. So eToro is super user friendly. Honestly, it's a, it's, it's like a huge competitor to Robinhood, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. So they make it more interactive and fun. And, and with that, you can also invest in cryptocurrencies. So mm-hmm. you can have access to U.S. exchanges and also Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever type of altcoins. And I think they also offer some other different types of investing mm-hmm. uh, strategies. I'm just not completely familiar. Um, so you do have that option. And then on top of that, the lo- there are local Israeli companies where you can invest in the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. Mm-hmm. But the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange, you know, it's 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 their companies local to Israel. Right. Me as an American, aside from the fact that I'm not knowledgeable enough to invest in them, I, I honestly, I don't even know that I would want to because mm-hmm. all the big high tech companies that are in Israel, they list on the American exchanges. Right. right. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like you're doubling up, right? You know, if, yeah. you're, if you're buying the entire stock market. Um, yeah. 
it's it's interesting you said about the 10% barrier and if you if you know if if a younger person is listening and you're saying you know what you need to you know you really should start thinking about investing and time is of the essence here but at the same time if you've only saved up 5k 10k you know 15k maybe you don't want to you know again you don't want to put all that into the stock market um because that's just really your starting money or emergency money so there's also that you know so everybody kind of beware that there's kind of like a an order maybe you walk us through the the logical order even though i've mentioned it so many times on the show but it's important for people to know like the what do you mean the logical order of what? meaning like, meaning like no i mean like in terms of accounts right like you said before you were working on building your cash savings while at the same time you were investing but you weren't only investing and not leaving cash you know people need to have some cash not that much cash <laughs> okay so like the order of operations of how you would manage your money i'd say yeah how would you structure your accounts right for somebody who's just starting okay so now what do i do with my money i have a job or i have a business that's paying me what what do i do right do i just start investing um you know okay. well, how does it work i think it's super personal for everyone of course like hence personal finance right. i do think let's say you're a single you have no dependents i think ideally you should have at least 3 months of cash saved up but that doesn't mean you can't start investing with, let's say, $100 in that month. That $100 isn't going to make or if you're earning an income and you're living in majority of places in the U.S. or in Tel Aviv, that $100 isn't going to make a make or break uh, whether or not you can pay the bills. It, it might you might have to sit out, let's say, one dinner of the month. But mm-hmm. the reality is you should be able to invest $100 or $50, whatever it is that you feel comfortable with, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then simultaneously- Especially if you're single with no dependents. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, so you should try to invest whatever the bare minimum is that you feel comfortable, whether it's, I said, like I try to say to people like 20, 40, 50, $100, I truly believe you can give up the $100. Um, and then from there, simultaneously start building out three- to six months of cash in your account for rainy days. Mm-hmm. Let's say you become unemployed and you need to pay rent. Where's that money going to come from? It'll come from there. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you can start, uh, once you have that three to six months saved, uh, if you are someone with dependents, I would suggest having a year of cash saved, mm-hmm. six months to a year. Obviously, it depends how many dependents you have. Do you have uh, is it your parents? Is it your partner? Is it your kids? Um, anyway, so six months to one year saved up then. And then simultaneously try to invest and allocate at least 20% of your income towards investments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you are someone that has an employer match retirement type of uh, plan, then of course, I think you should automatically sign up for that maximum employer match because first of all, it's amazing and you're never going to get that opportunity mm-hmm. without them. Right. Um, and second, because you, you, you set it and leave it and you never have to think about it. Right. It's like blind money that you doesn't come into your bank account. So it's psychologically painless. You mm-hmm. know, you don't feel the hurt of it being taken from your account, yeah. which I think is what ha- sets people up for success. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Which talks to the automation, right? Even like if you decide to put to, 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 to it, let the, the retirement account aside, you know, um, sponsored by your employer, your employer, if you decide to, you know, set aside a hundred dollars a month, just automate that so that you're not tempted not to do it right? It's just getting done in the background. Exactly. And if you literally set it once and have it 
both from a savings account and an investment account type of perspective, right? Like you can open up a second savings account, which I call your FU funds. Again, yeah. uh, you can have money automatically deposited into there and you, you just know it's there and you know not to touch it. You don't have a credit card or a debit card tied to it in your wallet. You just, it's, it's there, you know, but you don't use it. And then in terms of the investment, you can do the same thing. And I know with us uh, brokerages, you can even automatically invest into certain types of uh, either funds or stocks, depending on your uh, platform. Right, right. Is there ever a scenario, Elizabeth, where you maybe might suggest, you know what, you're in a position where you don't have to um, stick to the any money that you don't need within that you will need within five years, just don't invest in the stock market. Is there an exception to that that you can think, oh, yeah, you could accelerate this, like, it's not it's not such a big deal. Is there an exception to that rule that you've ever seen or advocated for? I honestly think that if you don't need the the money within two years, you can put it there. I think because, well, US specifically, right? If you put it in the stock market and you withdraw it within before that one year uh, timeframe, mm-hmm. then you will be charged uh, at like an income tax level and not a capital gains tax level. So you'll end up being charged more for withdrawing before that one year term ends. And so I think if you realistically don't need the money within two years, then you should probably put it there. You're better mm-hmm. off putting it there, especially nowadays with inflation. Like the only yeah. way to hedge against it is to have your money tied into into an appreciating asset. Um, but with that being said, of course, I do think long term investing is the best approach. If you realistically don't need that money for five or ten years, the better. Um, and I do think, of course, it depends on what your personal goals are. So, for example, last year I had always wanted to buy a property. By the time I turned thirty. And I was fortunate enough in doing so because I had money from my investments right. and I was able to pull and then use that money to invest in a, in a, in, in a larger asset. Right. So I think if you're someone that's looking to buy a house, you're not going to save up as you would for the down payment. If your money sits in a bank account, especially Agreed. these days with inflation. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And all, you know, people, people have different tolerances to risk. I happen to not be very like I, I'm a little bit more aggressive. So <laughs> whenever my co- friends call, call me for advice, I'm like, I, if, you know, if you ask me what I, I have to say what I officially have to say, but like, if you ask me personally, um, I don't. Yeah, I, no, I, I'm also with you. I do also <laughs> trade options every now and then, but, uh, but I would never, ever tell someone, especially my clientele and my community, that's, that's not the message I'm trying to get out. The message I'm right. trying to get out is that, you know, while there are technical aspects to investing, it doesn't have to be the same way baking a cake. It's super simple. But then when you start baking that 10 layer wedding cake, it's for a new person, it's it's impossible. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I try to make it as approachable as a topic as possible because it is and it should be. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. And, and the benefits are there. It's not to say that only if you get to the seven layer cake you know, status, can you benefit? Like the benefit is there in the, in the simplicity, you can gain a tremendous amount. Um, I want to talk about, I want to talk about challenges or failures, even though we, you know, we, we had that incredible story, but anything else that now looking back, um, and it could maybe more recent history where you say, Oh, um, I could have done this better. Um, anything comes up or has everything been like a smooth ride since? (laughs) Honestly, I truly think that period of like that time period of my life was truly the most challenging um, and devastating 
And there's no other way to put it. Like if I were to talk about it with any of my closest friends, you know, they were there, they saw. And I do know that in in hindsight, in comparison to what other people have gone through, it's, it it seems minuscule, but for me, it was really a lot. And I feel that there were so many things I could have done differently, Mm. but I do think, um, since moving to Israel and kind of like rebirthing myself in some way, I've grown like tremendously, both in terms of, you know, sure in terms of career, but mostly in terms of my values, my strengths, my weaknesses, what, what fills my soul with joy and things, you know, before I think when you're in your earlier twenties or mid twenties, you're, you're kind of like a yes woman. It's hard to say no. Yeah. Now it's mm. like, I don't really care what anyone has to say. I'm going to do what makes, you know, me feel great. And also mm-hmm. of course my partner, um, do what's best for our family. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that point. It's so true. Now, you know, going back to, um, fem funds, at what point during this progression, you get your job in TikTok, at what point do you realize, you know, maybe it's time for me? Is it that your friends are coming to you for advice? Is it that you, you know, you immediately realize, no, regardless of people coming to me, I have to talk about this? Like, how, how is that decision happening that you're like, I gotta, I gotta create something for the world? So actually, so it, it came about in two different ways. The first was, uh, during the crash, like the, the market crash when the pandemic started. 2020, uh, March. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Crazy. It's already, what, two years ago? <laughs> it feels yeah. like it was yesterday. Um, t- COVID oh, time warp, right? It's like, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It really was a time warp. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I started talking about the market crash to my close group of friends and my, my girls, you know, they're super intelligent, very successful, all in their own different career paths. But nonetheless, not one of them knew anything about investing. I was actually the only one. Mm. And one by one, I started teaching them all how to invest. And then I was sharing this with actually my one and only friend from Europe during that time. She actually became a life coach and she Mm. is crushing it. She's super successful as a coach, which, you know, is funny because I don't know. I didn't know so much about the coaching world and that, that side of digital marketing even though I work in digital marketing now, yeah. I didn't know that side of it. And she's like, girl, you need to, t- like, whatever you've been teaching your friends, like you need to make this into a course. And I'm like, I don't know anything about courses. Like I can't teach. Like, she's like, you're literally doing it. Just right. build it into an online course. Look mm-hmm. at this website. She's like, you'll figure it out. And then after that, like a light bulb struck and was like, I must create a course. And, and that's how it's evolved pretty much. Yeah. So I hope everybody listening, I hope the wheels are turning, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, there's a lot, there's, there's a years, everybody's sitting on a huge asset. It's what you know, right. And, and it's, it's, and it can come from just personal experience. I was just having this conversation with a student yesterday about the imposter syndrome and needing another certificate. You don't need another certification. It's so real. (laughs) Just no, your life experience is enough. There's somebody out there who really needs you because you're that many steps ahead of her, but that you're so relatable, right? No, it's true. I mean, I had finished building my course and I didn't start posting on social media until six or seven months later, because honestly, I was terrified of putting myself out there on the internet. Right. And I'm still terrified of it. I still feel the imposter syndrome. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I guess that's, 
those are the roller coasters yeah. of entrepreneurship or, or even just life, you know, you know, one day I feel like I'm on top of the world. And the next day I feel like, does any, is anyone listening? Does anyone yeah. care? Yeah. Um, but you know, every day you get some of these messages to validate uh, mm-hmm. both what I'm teaching and also my offering. And, and honestly, that means the world. So it's worth yeah. it. Yeah. That's a lesson right there because really it's a, you know, sometimes we think we have a business problem. We don't have a business problem. We have a courage problem, right? It really takes a lot of <laughs> We're the that, problem. Yeah. It, it, it takes, it takes a lot of courage to, for that, that visibility that is so needed if we want to actually help other humans. They have to hear what we have to offer. Um, Elizabeth, before we wrap it up, I always like to do what I, um, well, actually, before I do that, I want to ask you because you're engaged now and, you know, things you've <laughs> learned so much. How are you planning on, and this will be very interesting for the female listeners in the audience, how are you planning now to structure your finances? Are you combining accounts? Are you having his, her, both? Like, what, 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 you got, what are you guys doing? It's a great question, and it's such a hot topic. Yes. Honestly, I'm very traditional. I, and we've discussed this together, like we're going to combine fully. Obviously I'm going to still keep like my emergency savings that I've had. Um, but once we get married, we're going to, you know, have both of our incomes deposited into one and we will become one full unit then. And I think after that time of financial infidelity, that was something that was super, super important to me because I never wanted to have money become a secret or have mo- like, I didn't want there to be, mm arguments around money. And I wanted it to be super, super equal and, and everything to be shared. I wanted us to become one unit and maybe that's the cancer in me. I'm such a romantic. Um, and also maybe, that's the way my maybe, parents it's a Jew- maybe it's a Jewish woman in you, right? Cause re- also <laughs> re- re- I really, I, I, there, I don't think there's a right or wrong approach. I think it's very personal, but there is something to be said for, you know, what we believe a marriage is right. And granted, you know, there has to be complete transparency and complete access. Uniting finances mean it also suggests that it's a real union. Like it's really, we're building something together. I think that's what it represents to me as well. Like a true union, a true partnership, um, us against the world type of connection. And and not only that, I think once kids are in the mix, I mean, maybe, I don't know if you have kids. I know you're married. I do. I have four. So, so I'm imagine like, what are like for those people that keep completely separate bank accounts and then share, like, I don't know, how does it work? Does one person pay for dinner? One person pays for school. One person pay, like to me, that's just mind boggling and honestly inefficient and, and also has some sort of like secrecy behind it in a yeah. sense, you know, it's like, you keep it so personal on your own. And yeah. I feel like in those situations, that's where money really starts to unravel and uh, make the relationship uh, like tarnish a bit. Yeah. But that's just what I think. I don't always, I, I don't know. Fully. Right. Yeah. Their own. Yeah. I, I think you have to do what works for you. I'm, I keep everything together and, you know, I make sure that again, my, my husband's investment account, I'm the beneficiary, you know, I'm, I'm there, like, and I can access those accounts. He's a beneficiary on mine. And then we have the same checking accounts and savings accounts. And we're always constantly checking up with each other. That's my method, but I could see how, I I don't know. I don't know. Like you said, I don't know how it would work for other people. You have, whatever it is, there has to be communication and transparency. You know, even if you keep separate accounts, you both have to have access. It can't, there can be no secrecy if you want this yeah. to be a marriage. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. And I also, uh, on the other side of things though, I do think it's super important for both parties to have, you know, their own 
like backup financial mm-hmm. uh, emergency savings account. Yeah. But I do believe realistically and ideally that once you're married, you know, you have what was ever in your old account, you can like leave there and that can be your emergency yeah. fund. If you, if God forbid something happens with the relationship, you'll always have that. Yeah. And then in times of divorce, when things really, let's say get super messy on that front, you can have that to, to, to go back to. And I also do firmly believe that whatever is yours, you know, before the marriage, like let's say a property, or if you inherit something from your parents or your grandparents, whatever, I feel like that should rightfully be yours. I do understand that these days with divorce, things get super, super messy mm-hmm. and not everyone looks at it like that, but I personally do. Yeah. Um, like I would never, you know, take something that my partner inherited, for example, like, I, I don't know. I think that's just so wrong, but Yeah, 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 yeah. It can get get messy. And I think something to note is how, how open is your spouse to this? Because I I know, for example, when I got married, I had already my, you know, certain assets or whatever. And my husband was just so happy that I had them. And at some point in our relationship, we actually had to touch them because, you know, he was so happy that I had this, like, it was my money, right? It was like my thing. And we were in a bind, we were unraveling a business, whatever it was. And we had to thank God we had that cushion. Um, and we, t- we made a conscious decision and I was so okay with it. And now like he also sees my other accounts that I have. And even though he's the beneficiary, he's just always so proud that I keep adding to it. And like, that's in his mind, that's my money. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like these are what I'm saying. So it's just that constant transparency and communication and being, a w- being looking out for each other's backs kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Super yeah. important. So, so, so good. Before you tell us where we can find you, because I want everybody to go follow you and learn from you. Um, let's do Jewish Money Matters fill in the blanks. All right. I'll give you an open ended <laughs> sentence and you'll finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. That good. Okay. <laughs> okay. When I give my sir or tzedakah, I like to give to uh-huh. the guy downstairs. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Yes. Yeah. I live in the shuk near the shuk if you're uh-huh. familiar. So you have a lot of people. Yeah. Not a lot, but like a few commoners. Yeah. You know, last time we were in Israel as a family, my husband made a point to like share with the kids. We're all having pocket, you know, usually nowadays we don't carry cash. Right. But he said, when you go to Israel, you go with pocket money. Like there's, you just make it a point to share you're in. And so every, all of us had money with, you know, just readily available just to give. Um, And it was, it was incorporated in the, you know what I mean? Like we had a plan that we had saved up for this big family trip. And that was part of the money, right? Money that we were just going to share, you know, the opportunity would come and it would be just Sadaka money, um, which I thought was like really nice. Um, I'd love to make more money because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Something I wish I'd learn about money growing up is it grows. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Money, spiritual or physical? Spiritual. Hmm. Yeah. And now I want to go back to that. It, it, it grows. It's so important because there's so much of that mentality of like scarcity. Like, you know, it's just yeah, scarcity. If I, right. If I use it, it's not going to be there. Right. If it's like, no, it grows and you can replenish it. It grows and it can come back and right? it's up to you and only you 
to get it. Yeah. Well, there's also God in the picture, right? Like God has a lot of it. You do your part and God will bless you with it. Don't be scared. Like he has plenty (laughs) of it to give you. You need it. You know, like sometimes, you know, you have things saved, you know, money saved up for something and something else comes up. And sometimes it's like, Mm, but the money's there and it's like, oh, well, thank God the money. I, I thought I earmarked it for something else, but this came up. Wow. What a blessing. It's right there. Right. Instead of like getting okay. all right. Cause it can grow and it can get replenished. Okay. Something I splurge on unapologetically is travel. Nice. Elizabeth spender or saver investor. I know the answer to this one. <laughs> investor. Spender or saver. <laughs> spender or saver? Nah, I'm a bit of a spender. Yeah, yeah. That's I save funny. and I spend. Yeah, I do both. That's funny. I am too. I think the reason why I save and invest is because I actually am a spender. And if I yeah. wouldn't, I, you know, I would do a lot of yeah. damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I automate everything, so it's like I don't see the savings. Do you get? You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. So I, know what you mean. I do it. Right. And that's why we automate. Right. That's why we automate. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Which I do with my giving also. Right. Like I, I, I I know that 10% of my income just goes to charity and I like it's done. Right. I take care of that responsibility first. And then I take care of those, that those savings goals and investment goals first. So I don't feel any of it. And then I make the spending decisions and, uh, yeah, it works out much better. I don't think I was like exactly. that in my 20s, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I knew how to spend. All right. Today, I'm most grateful for opportunity. Mm, money does give us a lot of that. Finally, Elizabeth Schwartz, and I believe Jewish money matters because I believe Jewish money matters because ah, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. I believe Jewish money matters because no one will help us the way we help us. Yeah. And I think only Jewish people would understand that. Yes. So, so, so true. Feels so relevant to what we're living today. Elizabeth, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram at FemFunds and you can find me on TikTok at FemFunds. Very nice. And there you can check out your course and everything else and learn. This has been such a pleasure. Congratulations on the engagement. Thank you. And (laughs) I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you. Me too. Thanks to Elizabeth Schwartz for stopping by. You can find her on Instagram and TikTok at FemFunds. If you've been listening to the show for a while and you're thinking, I really want to learn more about so much of what Yael and her guests teach, be in touch with me. Ask away. I love getting your questions and answering them on the show. You can also join the waitlist for God Wants You to Be Rich. That would be a good move. That's my signature group program where we take a deep dive at all things money mindset and management, including, of course, investing. It's really a transformative experience. You can do that at yaeltrush.com forward slash rich. And as I said, you can always ask me those questions. DM me on Instagram at yaeltrush or send me an email yael at yaeltrush.com and I'll be right here Friday answering those for you. I hope everyone is having a fabulous day and you had hopefully a good Mother's Day yesterday. Have an excellent week. I'll see you Friday. And remember, your Jewish money matters. (laughs) 